Good evening. If you would, open up a Bible to Luke 5. We'll be in Luke 5 tonight. You might want to mark it. We'll be going back and forth from there. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us especially, thank you for being here. I hope that everything that uh, we look at tonight is beneficial for you like it has been for me studying it. In Luke 5, in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus has called some disciples And then he's been teaching, and he's been healing people, and it brings us to the story that we're going to look at tonight, starting in verse 17, verse 17 of Luke 5. It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is a very powerful story. It's an interesting one. Jason actually alluded to it in one of his building blocks, and it's kind of stuck with me. It's an incredible story to think about the concept of a man being lowered in through a ceiling and being healed and Jesus being questioned. But I'll be quite honest, it's hard to relate to. In 2022 now, the concept of a bunch of people gathering together and discussing the law and, and teaching and, and someone just being healed on the spot right there, it, it's hard to relate to. Uh, the closest thing that, that we can get to, maybe we think about our modern day medicine and the concept of healing and even that's not accurate. It makes us more think of a story that I recently heard about a little girl who had a friend over and their parents didn't know where the friend had went. The little girl was walking around with a clipboard and a stethoscope, and the parents still had no sign of the friend, and they finally asked her, and they said, well, where's your friend at? And she said, well, we're playing doctor, mom and dad, and she's been in the waiting room for two hours, and after another hour, I'm going to go see her. Those are the kinds of images that we think of when we think of healing, right? It's nothing like this story. And so I've really wrestled and tried to think about how, how to relate to some of the perspectives in the story. And the more that I've looked at it and examined it, I see Jesus. I see the perfect healer, the great healer, as the center of the story, as he should be in all stories. But around him, I see three perspectives that I want to look at tonight. And I see three perspectives about getting to that healer. And so tonight, I want to, I want to look at the concept of that perfect healer who can heal physically, and he can heal spiritually through forgiveness of sins. And it's my hope that these are impactful for you in your walk like they have been for mine. 
So he starts off, our first perspective is in verse 19, right? These friends have shown up to this home, and they're trying to bring in this, this paralyzed man. Verse 19 says, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they had to go up on top of the roof. Finding no way in because of the crowd. Silly question that just crossed my mind. Why didn't they get out of the way? You ever think about that in the story? I mean, I would hope that if Jesus were standing right here and we had a great crowd and somebody was bringing him, someone to be healed, I would hope that we would maybe just at least form a path for them to come through. Why didn't they get out of the way? This, this thought really stuck with me. And the more that I looked into it, I think we might have found some stuff about potentially why, but I think about that in my own life. And so the first question that I have is, are you, are you in the way of someone coming to Christ? Are you in the way of someone getting to this great healer? Can we do the same thing spiritually? I've yet to see someone in the way physically of someone coming to Christ, but can we do the same thing spiritually? Can my actions, my words, can my attitudes be a hindrance from someone coming to Christ? Can I be in the way? And I think when we think about it, yeah, we, if we examine our past, we can all think of times that we have been, and if you can't, then you're not thinking hard enough. But this isn't a guilt trip. I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody here tonight. We all have a past. This is to consider our impact on others' lives going forward. Let's take it a step deeper. Think about who was in the way in this story. Luke gives us some better detail. There's a few different accounts of this story in the Gospels, but Luke gives us a little bit more detail about who was here. In verse 17 of Luke 5, it says, On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The other accounts, and I guess maybe the Bible class story that I always heard growing up was just a, is a casual house and a lot of people were there and they were around Jesus. Luke paints a little bit of a different picture. Luke says that there are Pharisees and teachers of the law who have come from every village around, even from Jerusalem, the holiest of cities. Luke paints the picture that this was a fairly big deal for all of these Pharisees and teachers of the law to come hear Jesus in person. They've traveled and there's so many of them, and potentially a few others, that they're blocking the door. Do you remember what Jesus had to say about some of the Pharisees? Roger touched on it a bit this morning. His interactions usually weren't too positive. As a matter of fact, right after this story, we're told that Jesus is eating with tax collectors, and the Pharisees and their scribes immediately come out and try and attack him and ask him why he would even eat with tax collectors and sinners. They were high-ranking members of Jewish society. And you have so many of them in a room that the door is blocked. And on the other hand, you have this great teacher and this great healer from Nazareth, a despised, looked-down city. And you have his followers who are just commoners, despised tax collectors, the lowest of low in society, telling everyone, even the respected holy Pharisees, that they need to repent. If you would, go over to Matthew 23. I think that this paints a pretty good picture about, about what Jesus thought of the Pharisees. It's commonly known as the woes that Jesus gives. 
But in Matthew 23, we'll just read a few of these. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. And then if you go down a few verses, in verse 5 he said, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And then if you go down a little further in verse 13, which is very applicable tonight, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And then he goes down a little further, and he compares them to whitewashed tombs. And in verse 28 says, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We read these, and it paints a pretty clear picture of how Jesus perceived the hearts and minds of a lot of these Pharisees, these high-ranking Jewish officials, these people that were in that room. And so when I think about the fact of why in the world would somebody not want to get out of the way to let a paralyzed man through, this maybe makes a little more sense. Right? When, when thinking about why they may have not have gotten out of the way, they may have thought that their business was just flat out more important. I mean, these were Pharisees who had traveled from everywhere, even Jerusalem, to be here. They were a big deal. Their business was important. They were speaking about the law, which was above all else. They may have looked down on this man. From what else we read in the Gospels, we see that they probably wouldn't have dealt with a paralytic. As a matter of fact, they may have even viewed him as cursed. If you remember in John, we see this with Jesus and his disciples. John 9, have it up on the screen, says, As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That was a common thing. They wouldn't have had anything to do with this man on a day-to-day -day basis. And the ironic thing is most Pharisees probably didn't even notice their negative impact. In their minds, they were serving the God that they loved, being holy. Being a Pharisee sometimes was almost more like an elite country club that only a few could get into rather than an evangelistic mission of love. I say all this because I think we can do the same thing with our walk with Christ. I think we can do the same thing with Christianity. Like the Pharisees, we can pick and choose who's right to be around Jesus, who deserves Jesus. We can look down upon others. And in doing so, we block the door. We're in the way of others getting to the great healer. Because ultimately, when I read this story, and I, I think about the paralytic not being able to get in, and I think about the crowd, I have to wonder who else was passing by that day? Who else may have had an interest in Jesus that day? But when they passed by, and they saw the crowd, and they specifically saw the crowd who was in there, what did they say? Did they just say, no, I, I can't get in that room. I don't belong in that room. Maybe they just felt like they weren't holy enough to be in that room. Or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe they passed by and said, I want nothing to do with the people in that room. They've looked down on me. 
They'd mistreat me, and they probably have never cared about me a day in my life. This paralytic probably could have said that. I never want that to be said about myself, and I'm sure you don't want that to be said about yourself. So often we say we should be a reason for someone to take a good look at the Bible. I never want the opposite to be true. I never want to be a reason for someone to avoid taking a good look at the Bible and never finding their way to Christ. Paul summed it up really nicely in Romans 14 when he's talking about judging brothers and sisters, and he finishes the chapter by saying, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And so we see this concept of being in the way, being a stumbling block of someone getting to this great healer. But we also see the opposite back in Luke 5, where we've been one verse later. So they can't find a way in because of this crowd, and they go up and they let their friend in through the tiles. And verse 20 says, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus says he forgives the paralytic man's sins, but notice that he says, And when he saw their faith. It wasn't just the paralytic man's faith that he saw. He saw four friends. And so the next thing I want to talk about is can your faith be seen in your friendship? Are you helping others come to the great healer? So often, I think we treat the word faith kind of like we do the word care. We treat it like maybe a state of mind or just a feeling that we have. I think this story shows that faith means action. Faith is showed in our daily life. We read and we might say, well, Jesus can see into the hearts and minds of people, and so that's why he said he saw that. No, he didn't have to. Jesus could look up and see a hole in a ceiling that had been dug out. It was pretty clear to see these friends' faith that were bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus. Faith means action. James is the classic verse on it, right? He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We read about faith in Hebrews 11, it kind of does the same thing. There's always action words associated with it. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. Not just some sort of a feeling or a state of mind. Faith means that there was a decision that was made beforehand, and it was a belief that had manifested itself in action. It could be seen. If you would, turn into your Old Testaments to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I think this sums up kind of sometimes how we treat showing our faith to others. In Ecclesiastes 11, Solomon writes, starting in verse 3, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. 
As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so do you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I really like verse 4. It says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I had no clue what that meant for the longest time until a couple months ago when I heard it explained out loud. It means that fear cripples. He talks about a farmer observing the wind and getting so caught up in it that he's just afraid to sow. And regarding the clouds so, so much that he's never going to reap. The conditions are never perfect enough. I think it relates to helping others come to this great healer. Our faith being seen in our friendships. Sometimes we just treat it like the farmer that's afraid of the wind, so he never sows. Right? We have to have the perfect conditions sometimes for our faith to shine. And most of us know that those perfect conditions usually never come. With these friends, it may have not have been the perfect condition that we see in Luke 5. They were real people, right? Just like anybody else, these conditions may have not have been perfect. One of them may have had a bad back. One of them may have had the day off. One of them may have not have swept, slept well the night before because a child kept them up. Or maybe it just wasn't the best day for them to carry their friend all the way across town and then go up on top of the roof and try and dig through to get to Jesus. It probably wasn't. I'm sure they had their excuses too. But these friends had made up their mind. They were determined. They were committed. All because of their faith. I think that's a powerful point. And I know that when we talk about this, it can kind of get scary. Talking about can your faith be seen in your friendship and actions or maybe the conversations that you have, it kind of does the same thing like the word evangelism does to us. It just really makes us scary and kind of tense up. Nobody wants to have to go out and just put themselves out there talking about their faith. But I think that this story reinforces a point that we all need to remember. If you notice, these friends didn't do any healing. They did a lot, but they didn't do any healing. That was for Jesus, the great healer. These friends, however, knew where to take the paralytic man. They knew where he needed to go. Paul summed this up in 1 Corinthians. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Never forget this concept. When we talk about showing faith, talking about Jesus with others, you and I aren't doing the healing. And it's a good thing, too. We wouldn't do a very good job. Only the perfect healer can do the healing. We just need to know where to take people. And so often when friends are having a tough time, we send them to a lot of places. Don't forget to send them to the great healer. And so Jesus saw the friend's faith. But ultimately, that's not the only faith that he saw, right? We know that the main character here is the paralytic man. He saw his faith as well, and he forgave his sins, and ultimately he healed him and told him to take up his bed and walk. And so with the paralytic's faith, I want to ask the question, will you let anything come between you and Jesus? I think it's probably what this story really ultimately centers around. Will you let anything come between you and the great healer in life? 
I know it's an easy thing to say, absolutely not, and this is the mindset I'm going to have, and then you wake up and you have no idea what that looks like. And so I think there's a few things that go into having this mindset. I think there's a few things we have to realize first. Number one, we need to see our spiritual condition apart from Christ. If you would, turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And this is not a popular idea in our culture. I think everybody knows that. Having to see a spiritual bankruptcy in a culture of self-help, self-love, and independence. Nobody wants to hear this, but we know that it's the truth. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul discusses it, beginning in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He really sums it up in the first line. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. We need to see our spiritual condition apart from Christ to be able to understand why we need to get to Jesus. And going along with that, when we see our spiritual bankruptcy, we'll ultimately see what doesn't matter in life. I had a coach that did a great job of kind of expounding upon this. He had tons of kids that would come up to him and they would ask him questions about his faith all the time. And so they would bug him and they would bug him and he would get so tired of kind of dealing with all of their random questions they were almost trying to stump him with and he would just say, listen, when I walk down my path, I see Jesus at the end. And I'm trying to not let anything come between me and him. And when I see him, everything else that doesn't matter in my life that I'm striving for just kind of falls by the wayside. Maybe there's a stumbling block here or there that I have to avoid, but everything else just kind of falls by the wayside. I think that's kind of really the point here. When we see our spiritual bankruptcy, we'll see really just what doesn't matter in life. And in our lives, especially in today's age with so much that we have, there's a lot that really just doesn't matter in life, isn't there? We'll see why Jesus matters so much. Still in Ephesians 2, just after this, when Paul talks about how you were dead, he sums it up nicely and gives the complete opposite. Starting in verse 4, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, this man that we read about, this paralytic man, he knew his physical condition. I know that's a rather obvious statement, but he would have known it every day, especially in that era. He would have known it every single day by how he was treated, by who just didn't even speak with him, kind of like we mentioned. It didn't matter what it was going to take to get to Jesus. It didn't matter what it was going to take to get to the perfect healer. He was going to find a way. A hole in a ceiling was nothing. For him to be able to rise up and walk, he probably would have went up and patched it up himself. And not only that, but we talked earlier about being a hypocrite and being in the way, but there's a flip side to that. When we talk about this paralytic man, do you think he cared about who was in the room with Jesus? He cared about who was in, he didn't care who was in the room. It was all about getting to that healer. He woke up, and there was one thing on his mind, and it was getting to the great healer. It didn't matter who was in the room with Jesus. 
when we see Christ's love through the healer that he is and we get rid of all the extras in life, I think we won't let anything come between us and him in our daily walks. If you would, go back to Luke real quick. This will be our last passage for the night. Just before this story, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is traveling around, and he's doing a lot of healing, like we see, especially throughout the book of Luke. And in Luke 4, in verse 40, I think this sums up one of the reasons why Jesus is the great healer. In verse 40, it says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You notice that? Every one of them. That's pretty hard for us to imagine. Like I alluded to earlier with our our medical care nowadays, right? Jesus didn't tell them they had to come back and make an appointment. Jesus didn't tell them that they didn't deserve to be healed. Jesus didn't tell them they needed to make more money. They weren't high enough in society. They weren't good enough. He healed Every one of them. I've said it just a minute ago, but when we see Christ's love through the perfect healer that he is, we won't let anything come between us and him. This man and his friends, they could have waited. They could have hoped that maybe there would be a better time to get to Jesus. Maybe they would just wait for everybody to clear out. They didn't. And the result of coming to Christ, in verse 25 of Luke 5, it says that this man went on his way rejoicing and glorifying God. And everyone in the room around Jesus started glorifying him and said, we've never seen anything like this. So tonight I ask the question, are you spiritually paralyzed? Do you need the great healer in your life? Ultimately, he is the only one that can heal you of sins. He died on a cross for you. He lived for you. He is willing, as we just saw, to save every single person who comes to him in faith. He doesn't turn anybody away. And like those friends and that man, there's no reason to wait. Do whatever it takes to get to him. And like that man, if you need Christ tonight, you can go on your way rejoicing this evening and glorifying God. If you need to make your life right in any way this evening, don't hesitate. Come forward now while we sing.